welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. What a blessing, what an encouragement today. And as we turn to Acts chapter 4, um, amen, amen, glory be to God. We are going to finish chapter 4 today, the last two verses. And uh, next Sunday, as I said, we'll have those special guests, Spencer and Joanna Goddard. We urge you to come uh, as those missionaries will be here with their children, Abby and Gabby. So easy to remember. And... Uh, Makes it easy on me. And uh, he'll be presenting their mission, as I said, to remote tribes in West Brazil. Uh, I hope that their mission will be an encouragement to us uh, together. And that is our topic for today, encouragement, as we are introduced to a man who is called Barnabas. It's no accident that he appears here uh, uh, Joseph, his given name, called Barnabas, nicknamed Barnabas, becomes an encouragement as his behavior is a notable contrast to Ananias and Sapphira, who we are going to meet next time uh, in Acts chapter 5, or when we resume Acts chapter 5, probably looking at that now after the Holy Week, as we have Palm Sunday and uh, Resurrection Sunday coming up. But uh, we will get back to Acts chapter 5 after the holiday. The church to this point, however, has experienced exponential growth. It's remarkable spiritual cohesion together. Uh, all the congregation, we are told, is, is sharing one heart and soul in verse 32. We've We've watched over four chapters as they gather together tirelessly for prayer, and uh, in our previous passage, they all prayed together. Again, corporately, they're praying together with one purpose in mind, and that is to preach Christ boldly, to preach boldly. These early Christians saw that prayer answered by God, and through their submission to God's will, in preaching Christ boldly, and uh, that spirit who indwells us uh, was indwelling them, and it began then to to shatter those bonds of materialism uh, that they had previous to Christ. And upon <laughs> upon finding there are some deeply impoverished Christians that were needing to be clothed and fed, uh, Joseph, again called Barnabas, says, oh, I want a piece of that action. I want in on that. And uh, Joseph, he is your quintessential Jew. He was born a Levite named Joseph. He's raised under the law, and uh, therefore he knows that pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That is a quote from another quintessential Jew, our Lord's brother James, in James 1 verse 27. 
And, and that concern for the poor, it is a divine prerogative. It, it was foundational in underpinning the Old Covenant. And if you remember from two weeks ago, I stated that when an Old Covenant principle is restated under the New Covenant, uh, particularly when the New Testament uh, repeats itself, uh, you can know it is the will of God. That principle has not changed. It is rather, caring for the poor is rather reinforced through Jesus Christ. And when that generosity is dispensed with wisdom, we learned last week, we can never go wrong. Can never go wrong. A caring for impoverished Christians is a no-brainer, concludes Barnabas, as we read together Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The Greek term there, money, it means hard currency, cold hard cash. And uh, the phrase laying it at the apostles' feet there, it wasn't, it wasn't an act of of reverence or adoration of the apostles. It was symbolic of trust. It's showing, we trust you to do what is essential uh, with this money. And uh, we'll see that when we get to Acts chapter 10, um, Cornelius, the first Gentile, the first straight Gentile to be ushered into the church, is going to bow when Peter enters. He said, no, I'm just a man. That's all I am is a man. So the money is brought, entrusted to the discretion of the apostles. And uh, I would have to think that that bringing money and everything and just laying it down, that'd be pretty encouraging. I I think it'd be encouraging. But that's not the reason that Joseph is called the son of encouragement uh, or Barnabas, his nickname. Joseph was a Levite. And if, if you're new studying the Bible... What it means him being a Levite under the Old Testament, uh, it means that he was born into the lineage or was a descendant of Levi, uh, the tribe of Levi, and there all males were to be, uh, according to the law, born, uh, actually designated equal as priests under the Mosaic law. But by the time of Jesus, there were nominal Levites, those though who went by name Levites, they've been, give, they've been given a, uh, a backed seat to other Levites. They'd taken a hind seat to other Levites who were descendants of a high priest during the time of King Solomon. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, that high priest's name was Zadok. And uh, his descendants were called Sadducees, right? They did not believe in the resurrection. I'm going to go ahead and say it because I didn't earlier. That's why they're so sad, you see. Um, I know it's horrible every time I say it. I regret it. Um, but yeah, the Sadducees had, were of the high priestly class, and they were in power. They, they made up the, the, uh, the leverage on the, on the Sanhedrin, the council, and what this means is that, you know, typical everyday Levites, just the standard Levites, they were of a priestly family, but they were not of the right 
priestly family. And consequently, ordinary Levites, they were usually assigned um, subordinate tasks at the temple. It's like taking out the trash, you know, mopping up after the sacrifices, and maybe staffing the gates, you know, the entry gates and everything. They were the guys who had the red t-shirts that on the back red staff. Um, in fact, there had been such, there had been created such a disparity, uh, such an artificial elevation of the Zadok priest, the Sadducean priest, being above the other Levite priests, that the Jewish culture began to distinguish them separately, and you see it in Scripture, as the Levites and priests, or the priests and the Levites. But they were all born priests. That was as if to imply that just, well, just the regular everyday priests, the Levites, weren't real priests. It was the Sadducees that were the real priests. All this assures us, when we look at Joseph, is that he wasn't a big player among the priests, among the Levites. Instead, he, he was even born in another place. He was born on the island of Cyprus, so he wasn't even a local. He wasn't even originally from Jerusalem he was a transplant. Well, basically like virtually all of us in Port St. Lucie, right? Yeah. yeah, transplanted here. I imagine whenever Joseph did relocate to Jerusalem, that uh, if he had presented his resume at the temple to serve as a Levite, uh, that high priestly class uh, probably would have responded something like, yeah, whatever, son. You know, my family has been here over 400 years. Why do I think that? That is just the way people are, folks. It's the way they are. Um, For one reason or another, Joseph would have found himself way down on the pecking order. Either as not being a local or not being of the right family. Uh, He was way down the list. Not so in the church. Not so in the church. There Joseph found himself on the fast track to ministry. That's what my old pastor would have called it. Son, you're on the fast track. Because he exhibited a very commendable quality. What was it? Joseph was recognized as an encourager. And it wasn't the selling of the land or giving of money that earned Joseph that reputation. The previous passages reveal that that many, in fact, you see in verse 34 that most all who had multiple properties and multiple homes, virtually all uh, began selling them and doing exactly the same as what Joseph did. But they weren't called Barnabases. No, Joseph stood apart from the rest and has been, had been designated by the apostles as the son of encouragement. Think about that. I think that is great. You know, the entity which assigns the nickname matters. It's a lot. Matters a lot. Uh, if your professional basketball team nicknames you the champ, that means a whole lot more than if that title were assigned to you by your fifth grade class, Right? champ of the playground versus champ of the NBA. There, there's, there's a big difference. So who makes the designation matters. 
And although the 12 apostles were in charge on this scene, ultimately the whole church began to recognize that Barnabas had had just this exceptional capacity to encourage. The apostles started calling him uh, son of encouragement. I suspect this personality of his was, was either enhanced or, or perhaps given by the Holy Spirit as Joseph's spiritual gift. In Romans 12, we're told about people who, whom God has gifted by his Spirit to encourage. Uh, it states there that he who exhorts shall do so through his exhortation in Romans chapter 12. Exhortation there is it's the same uh, same Greek word as encouragement, same word as in Acts four. And there are many spiritual gifts through which you and I can encourage one another. Uh, some encourage through serving, but that is the gift of service. Some encourage through giving money, but that is the gift of generosity. But the spiritual gift of encouragement or or of exhortation, it stands apart as denoting somebody who is really good at it, especially good at encouraging. The term exhortation uh, suggests he's good with words. He or she is skilled in speech, uh, a positive source of encouragement, a positive voice. And most of my theological sources that I've looked at agree that Joseph's title, that this son of encouragement or or son of exhortation, implied that he had a really unique way with words uh, that likely included public speaking to some capacity. To some capacity. What I I find inspirational is uh, that none of the 12 apostles are described in this way. James and John were never called the sons of encouragement. What were they called? Sons of thunder. Yeah, I like that title too. Jesus gave them that name, sons of thunder. The apostle Paul appears to concede, this would be years later in 2 Corinthians 11, that he was not uniquely skilled in speech, but instead admits 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1, I did not come to Corinth wielding superiority of speech. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul was incompetent in speech or public speaking. Rather, we know from Scripture that he was very skilled and compelling uh, as an orator. But he probably implies there, or, or admits, that his disposition, his style, it wasn't eloquent. Like, like those more accomplished Greeks that Corinth was used to having coming through town. Those guys who could really spice it up nicely that Corinth was used to. Comparatively, Peter was aggressive. He was bold, sometimes brash in his delivery. But when it comes to Barnabas, the words of Barnabas, I can't even tell you what was encouraging about his speech. No sermon or lecture by Barnabas is ever recorded in Scripture. In fact, I'm unable to find a single direct quote. 
by Barnabas, not even a sentence spoken by Barnabas. Whenever he is portrayed as speaking, it's always in combination with or in tandem with the Apostle Paul or someone else who is speaking. Uh, It's always like Barnabas and Paul or Paul and Barnabas told them. Furthermore, he seems to be represented as always in a support role when Paul was preaching. Isn't that interesting? You know, I'm not suggesting that Barnabas never spoke. It's not what I'm saying. I'm also not saying that he never preached. He surely did and would after Paul and Barnabas split. But unlike so many others in Scripture... You find the apostles or, or Stephen who gives a sermon. You've got Philip the evangelist who is quoted in different places. Many like this. This encourager's words are never recorded. Or, or at least the best that I can tell. If you find a statement, let me know. I will recant, okay? Uh, we might come across a couple words by him uh, by the time we get uh, through Acts. I wasn't able to find any. Maybe he said, ouch, somewhere. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Because what I wanted to know, and my sources didn't tell me, what I wanted to know and what I attempted to find out was some detail of exactly what this guy said. What exactly did he say? Uh, I wanted to discover how he said it. But what I found is Scripture records the part that God wanted us to recognize about him. It's that Barnabas was always striving to fill some kind of support role. And that seems to be the biblical profile of one who is called son of encouragement. He supports. He's present me. He's there. He's sent uh, to Antioch to build others up. This guy didn't demand to wear the star of the Lone Ranger. He wasn't only comfortable, uh, he, he excelled filling the role of Tonto. Always right there, taking care of the role that God had given him. And it's for this reason that Barnabas becomes, for us, an incredible role model because Christ's church is not supposed to have Lone Rangers. We're all supposed to be Tontos. We're all assigned to help and be there for one another. Um, It's a different topic for a different day and a different text. Uh, But any time any type of minister or missionary uh, decides that they're going to go Lone Ranger, uh, it always spells disaster in the end. We are a body encouraging one another. Um, Barnabas just really excelled at it. He was pleasing to God and the church. He thrived through assuming that role, the encourager. And virtually any pastor you will ask will concede. You know, I only wish we had a few more Barnabases in our church. That man who, who throughout history, he's legendary for his words, yet we have no precise record of exactly what he said. 
And the legacy that the church has been given, amazing legacy, it remains of a character profile so attractive that virtually every Christian knows who Barnabas is. He's the son of encouragement. The man who really deserved an Oscar for best supporting role. Little profile of what uh, he does. We're going to see in Acts that Barnabas will be the one who eventually takes hold of Saul, that, that Pharisee who becomes known as the Apostle Paul. And he brings him, uh, Barnabas brings him into unity with the twelve apostles. In Acts chapter 9, Barnabas won't report about what he has done or the amazing things he has done. No, he is going to build up and elevate Saul and celebrate how much God has done through this Pharisee who now professes Jesus Christ, preaching the gospel boldly. In Acts 11, once the persecution erupts in Jerusalem, that'll be after the stoning death of Stephen, we are told that the apostles sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Sent him to Antioch. That's where many of the Jerusalem refugees had fled. And we are told there that when Barnabas arrived, he rejoiced and began to again encourage them all with resolute heart and to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Think about that. People were saved as a result of Barnabas' encouragement. Consequently, many, or rather considerable numbers, uh, were coming to faith in Christ. Uh, wasn't credited to Barnabas' preaching. But seemingly credited to Barnabas' encouragement. Tuck that away for just a little bit later. Just for a few minutes, we'll come back to this. Because from this point forward then, Barnabas is almost exclusively referred to in combination with Paul. Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul. And though Barnabas' nickname implies he had a unique gift of speech and, and a capacity to encourage to the point where Considerable numbers were brought to the Lord, no record of his preaching. And I don't think, I really don't think that I am artificially inflating this phenomenon. Because Acts 14, when Paul and Barnabas were heralded as gods, remember that scene? That was after following a miraculous healing in Lystra. Scripture says that the crowds began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he, meaning Paul, was the chief speaker. Paul functioned as the chief speaker. And that statement recorded there doesn't suggest this is an anomaly, but substantiates there was a pattern here. 
Paul was the chief speaker during the time that they traveled together while Barnabas remained the chief encourager. And this is what I honestly suspect was going on. The Apostle Paul was serving as the mouthpiece, the preacher, while Barnabas was busy echoing everything that Paul said. Barnabas was the encourager. He was an encourager to the audience to receive the things spoken by Paul. He he was created by God, or rather recreated by the Holy Spirit, to encourage everyone to believe the preaching that they heard. That's what I suspect was going on. And if those suspicions are correct, I think they are. Barnabas was the first ever to establish an amen corner. Yeah, yeah. You can see it. Amen, folks. That is right. Listen to what Paul is preaching. Everything he's teaching you about Jesus is true. They have seen the resurrected Christ. Jesus has been raised. God has opened a way for all of us to have forgiveness of sins. Believe it. Believe what you're hearing on this day. And I think Barnabas was a, was a voice of affirmation for the crowd. And therefore, after Pentecost, when the twelve apostles had been preaching so boldly, Barnabas wasn't preaching. No, Peter, John, and the others. The other, the twelve were preaching at this time that Barnabas was given his nickname. And he was given the nickname because Barnabas was active in the crowd telling people, folks, this is good. Christ has been raised. What these men are preaching about us, that Jesus has in, is indeed God's Savior promised to Israel. That is right. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Think of the power that that has to the audience when someone is there reaffirming, reverberating, echoing, uh, what is true and what is right from God's Word. And, it, and in those days following Pentecost, just as would be recorded later in Antioch, uh, through Barnabas, th- that son of encouragement, considerable numbers were being saved. Considerable numbers. While Peter and John were preaching, Barnabas was encouraging the crowd to believe. And when the apostles saw that Joseph, what Joseph called Barnabas was doing, uh, encouraging those people in the crowds at Pentecost, uh, encouraging them, accept what these apostles are teaching, they marveled. The twelve marveled, and, and, and they must have determined, what do we call that man? And one of them says, I know what we will call him. That is a son of encouragement. Barnabas. If more Christians in the pew would only recognize how your response can affect others that are sitting around you, 
Folks, don't let your neighbor walk out the door without encouraging them to believe what they've heard. Just imagine what what the Lord might do here at this church with, with just a few more Barnabases. How about 150 Barnabases that are just encouragers? Believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. I believe considerable numbers would be saved. When you look at the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God and speaking forth what God has written, there is no better pattern of this than Jesus Christ Himself. Every every crowd that He engaged, He was always returning back to what God had said, saying, it is written, folks. It is written, you shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus was the amen corner for the Word of God. Always responding to every situation, every challenge with, it is written. Listen to what the Lord has said. We have to ask ourselves, am I an encourager? Am I encouraging people to receive what the Word of God has said? You help people respond to the Scriptures that are preached and taught on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings in Sunday schools with our teachers. Folks, your positive encouragement uh, through it, considerable numbers will be saved. Being an encourager, being a Barnabas. You know, I, I personally don't envision Barnabas here as applauding, you know, the skill of Peter and the skill of John and the skill of Paul personally after each message. I don't think he's getting with them alone and saying, hey, you're the greatest. Man, greatest since John MacArthur, you know. You guys are really preaching up a storm, encouraging the preacher. I, I don't think that's it. I really don't. Paul and John and Peter didn't need that regardless. Uh, The preacher's confidence has to come uh, from knowing with certainty that he is preaching faithfully to Scripture. Uh, That's what needs to be an encouragement for each preacher, not applause. Needs to be knowing you are faithful to Scripture even when the audience begins to pick up stones to throw at you, knows Stephen, as we will find out in a couple chapters. Yet he preached and he remained faithful to Scripture. The the temperature in Jerusalem is going to change real quick. It's just around the corner. We're going to see things aren't going to be so rosy uh, as we move on. Uh, Nobody's going to get the chance to tell Stephen, hey, Great sermon, buddy. Right? No. No, they're carrying him off as the first martyr of the church. Like anyone, like anyone, I appreciate a compliment. I, I truly do, especially when you tell it isn't forced or fabricated. Uh, there are a few of you who are very natural and genuine in expressing that, for which I truly 
appreciate, truly appreciate. There are a few others that could at least try to fake it once in a while. (laughs) But the title, Son of Encouragement, wasn't given because he praised the apostles after each message. No, Barnabas was encouraging the crowd to receive the information heard in the sermon, in the music, in the prayer. When they'd hear that a mighty fortress is our God. The son of encouragement was right there. Is, is, is our God not a mighty fortress? What an encourager. What a great day in the Lord's house, he would say. What great things we learned about God from Scripture. And the place that preachers find encouragement is watching what the Word of God does to develop Christians. We have a congregational meeting after church today. I will say I am thrilled at what I see among the people at Port St. Lucie Bible Church. I truly am. It's an encouragement. Folks, there exists a wave of encouragement here. A wave of encouragement. I see people like Tammy Joe was out working the crowd afterwards, smiling, encouraging people with the Word of God. Uh, Jeff Rogan is an encourager. He was always trying to grab a hold of the other guys and, and lift them up in the Lord, uh, working the crowd again and again. They and, and many others like them are the ones who, well, they rejoice and they recur- encourage with a resolute heart to remain, uh, everyone to remain true to the Lord. That's what we need. Encouragement to remain true to the Lord. And there are many in our number who are like Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And considerable mum- numbers are undoubtedly being brought to the Lord. Folks, we need to pray that God will continue that spirit burning at this church. Uh, it is the will of God that all Christians become encouragers. We can pray that. Lord, make me an encourager. We don't want to be complacent. We don't want to get soft. We want to be encouraging one another and all the more as the day of Christ draws near. That day is getting closer all the time. The apostles, especially the apostle Paul, discovered that wherever there was a congregation that was doing well, there would eventually become men who, along the way, who Paul called out by name, Hymenaeus, Alexander, Philetus. He says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 14, uh, they would, you know, wrangle about words, talk like that spread like gangrene. He said, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. There's danger out there. In some cities, men arrived. Uh, we call them today Judaizers, and who even fo- followed church, uh, Paul church to church and town to town. Paul would leave. And they would come in and uh, try to undo what the Lord had done through Paul and the preaching. God sends encouragers. The enemy of God sends 
And so as discouragers, it's always been that way. Be careful and be wise. Be careful and wise. Kind of a sad story here, but I have to have to share it. That parents would be wise. Um, there was a man here years back, year, long past, who after virtually every sermon, he had to come and wrangle about something in the message. That's something that just wasn't right. It was his personality, all right? Got to be where I'd start to sidestep a little bit when he come, start talking to someone else. Because always something just wasn't right. And it was his personality. So I just know on the drive home, he had to wrangle some more about it with a wife and with the kids in the car. Uh, you know, there's another way to look at that. You know, I don't think he really knew what he was talking about. And when those kids left home, their lifestyles turned completely away from the Lord. Completely. And I believe it was his wrangling about words that led to the ruin of the hearers. Really, honestly, in that scenario, the hearers were the children who became conditioned to never accept anything that they heard on Sunday, because it was never right. Uh, That is a very sad case there. We all need to be Barnabases, all of us. And I would believe that Hebrews chapter 10 would reveal that if you can't be an encourager at the place where you worship, you need to find the perfect church where you can. Really. And if you are one who concludes, well, you know, I'm just not an encourager. I I don't do that. Uh, I don't have that gift. You know, my spiritual gifts are scowling and criticism. Arr! Arr! Uh, I will finish today with a brief reference uh, that reflects back upon our Scripture reading. It's no doubt that there exists a gift of service. Some really excel at, at serving. But all are required to serve, right? Um, Some excel at giving. Really great at giving with a cheerful and generous heart. Some are gifted in that. But we're all commanded to give. Some have a special capacity to to show mercy. To be at a bedside and, and really be kind and gentle and show that mercy as a gift from God. But all Christians have to show mercy. And the same is true of encouragement. You know, some are especially gifted by God um, to encourage others. They have a knack for encouragement. Yet still, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 demands that we all encourage. It's a stimulation to love and good deeds, mutual encouragement of the brethren. It's, folks, that is stated as a minimum prerequisite for Christians to encourage. All true believers are, are born again. We are new creatures in Christ. All recreated by God to encourage one another with our words. This is something that was exclusive to Barnabas. He didn't have a corner on the market. Um, 
It's one of the reasons we're in church consistently, teaching our, teaching our families how we value the assembly of the saints. It's, it's just impossible to encourage, uh, to encourage without a presence. I'm sorry, but people talk about internet church. Clicking a thumbs up on Facebook just ain't going to cut it. There ain't no such thing as an internet church where you're fulfilling what God has asked us to do and can only do together. You can't encourage without presence. So Hebrews 10.24 states, you know, let us consider how to stimulate one another to, to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Being a source of encouragement, folks, that is where the bar is set. It's the minimum prerequisite, as I said, for every Christian. It's not not just reserved to a few who are uniquely gifted at it. Mutual encouragement, it begins as a fruit of presence. Just think about a couple weeks ago when we had like 61 in adult Bible class. And the next Sunday was time change, and we had like eight. (laughs) Think about the difference of encouragement that is just your presence being there. Ticked up again today. A little bit. But the presence is where it starts. But the physical presence is not where it ends. It's not where the bar is set. We learned earlier that the word exhortation and encouragement extends to the utterance of words. It's kind words. It's skilled words. It's meaningful words. Words of affirmation that everyone needs and appreciates. Words to one another. You know, your elders know the encouragers here are many, many. What a blessing we have of encouragers here. Uh, one member last week, this is before the service began, he just put, on my sh- put his hand on my shoulder and said, Brother, I just want you to know I'm with you. Think of how much that does for you as you hear that from one another and to one another. Not, not to me all the time. In fact, if you told me every Sunday that, Brother, I'm with you, I'd get suspicious. I would. Something is up here. Um, now and then, it's encouragement. Those who knew Jerry Robertson, he was an elder of ours. He passed away a little over a year ago. Boy, he was an encourager. If there were anyone who was as close to Barnabas as I could say I've ever met, it was Jerry Robertson. And uh, wow, we learned at his funeral. Everyone said, such an encourager. Everybody loved Jerry, really did. Uh, He was a Barnabas. Uh, Our old associate pastor uh, wasn't able to return for the funeral, but uh, he left a note note for me to read, and he said, tell everybody to be like Jerry, because Jerry was like Christ. Anthony and Alberino, Anthony Alberino and Steve Elger, your elders, they're without question encouragements. They, they are. You listen, 
talk to Anthony and Cheryl Elberino and just the way that they arrived at this church and and the love that they have for the Lord and serving. Steve Elger, Tammy, Joe, and Steve, uh, they're always up front, so they get the most attention. They're always up in our praise team. And But whenever you talk to them, it's always just a good, good feeling you get from them. Uh, without question, encouragers. You know, when your elder board content, uh, considers nominating elders, you know, we, we not only discuss character and, and uh, diligence and reputation and, and how good their theology is, we discuss who are encouragers to the flock? Who can we see that is, that is encouraging? You might say, but exhortation, I, I don't see that in the list of qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I don't see it in Titus chapter 1. How, how do you get that for an elder? Folks, it's a minimum prerequisite for every Christian when they come on Sundays. Everybody. Church leadership can't be exempt just because it's not in an abbreviated list. No, we all have to be encouragers. And the reality is that Scripture expects it. For all Christians have been created by God, actually recreated by the Holy Spirit of God to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day of Christ drawing.